listening to yet another episode of Britonology. Uh, I'm I'm Milo Evans, and I'm joined as ever by my co-host Nate Bethay. Hello, it's a lovely autumn day in mid-October in London. The sun has shone for like 15 minutes today, mm. and then it's just slate grey. Just too much, if anything. Yeah, like, exactly. A bunch of British people are going to get melanoma by accident. Like basically, everyone's dad and uncle has gotten a sunburn from this somehow, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and they're going to be yelling about this country's going to the dogs. You know, yeah. it's woken up the Scots again. Exactly. It's terrible. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's it's a very it's a very normal day. We've decided on on this beautiful autumn day to spend it journeying into uh, the cursed minds of Britain once again. We have, and this week, or rather this episode, we've decided mm. to talk about a series of films that you are way more familiar with than I am. The Carry On oh, films. Oh yeah. Now we didn't go so far as to punish ourselves by watching all like 32 or 36 or however many carry on films 31 yeah i mean good god i only know that because i'm looking at the wikipedia page i'm not like i don't have that much of an encyclopedic knowledge of yeah i mean it would have it would have probably have been an entire separate podcast if we watched every carry on film and reviewed them and i would have fucking set myself on fire i would have fled (laughs) britain I would have ripped up my British passport and fucking swum into the goddamn English Channel. Just, I'd be like, I don't care if I land in fucking the Netherlands and I have to learn how to play honkball hoof to class. So like, I don't care. Get me off this island. It's just like your wife just finds you like uh, twitching in your sleep and muttering stuff to yourself like, ooh, missus. <laughs> oh, my God. So my big takeaway from the beginning was that I, I should t- clarify initially the film. The film that we watched was uh, Carry On Up the Kyber. Yes, uh, which is I I picked for Nate because I knew it was the one that Nate would love the most because it is a carry on film set half in uh, like the British Raj in India and in what now would be Pakistan and half in uh, Afghanistan. It so, is, you know. yeah. Uh, although it looks like it was filmed in Scotland, it doesn't matter. Yes, the, the countryside is not looking very it does Afghan. Not look Afghan at all. Uh, however, uh, and al- also there are no Afghans or Indians or Pakistanis. There's no. just a lot of white British people, some of whom are wearing brown face, yep. many of whom are doing uh, slightly in the modern ears problematic accents. <laughs> Let's yeah. just call it that. <laughs> the film came out in 1968. And uh, some of you who follow me on Twitter may have noticed that I-, I tweeted a bit when I was watching it, during the time I was watching it, and then afterwards. Mm. And I said, this is the worst piece of shit I've ever seen. Was one comment I made. <laughs> The next one was, this is really unfunny and racist, but also horny the entire time. Oh, it's that deeply horny films. Yeah. And, and horny in a way that's never explicit, but always just like body and full of double entendres. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's like, okay, I did a writing program. I did a Master of Fine Arts in Creative Writing. And one of our instructors made the comment that if you have a sort of recurring joke in a story mm. that once is great, Twice, okay. Three times is too much. If you're going to do it more than three, you have to do it a hundred times, and that yeah. that then it becomes funny again if it's just constantly fucking happening. And exactly. so to me, that's it's, it's Jerk Vanderklag. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that that to me is what gives the film humor is that it's basically nonstop horny jokes the mm. whole time. Like, yeah. it, you can see how some of this filtered into other British comedy. There were some elements of like the shows I'm familiar with, like Blackadder mm. or Monty yeah, Python. Yeah, yeah. There's also some things with regard to shows that I've watched like Mel Brooks films from the same Mm. period that are kind of like this but this is just horny vaudeville but filmed but also very deeply British yeah, and there's a there's a lot of like uh, people going, oh, 
it's, it's, it's a lot of like just what we might call like horny voice like <laughs> yeah. all of the like in, in carrot because like i think it's a whole thing of like to understand carry on and i think that uh this is gonna absolutely break the psyches of our american listeners trying to get into fucking carrot i mean like you're used to being tortured with british stuff sure, but yeah. they are not right? no um and like the carry on films i mean these are genuinely a British institution to the point where, like, as a child, I can just remember these big, like, you know, when there's like Sunday afternoon and they just put some old shit on TV. Yeah. Like, it would invariably be a carry on film. Like, I kind of, I don't really remember the plots of any of these films in that great detail, but like, I have seen them, like, many of what them. What was anyway. it? The network, there was an American cable network on like basic cable. I think it was like Turner Classic Movies or something like that. And they show a oh, lot of these yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. And the best way I could describe these films is that. Imagine taking the sort of general rhythm and pattern of like something like I Love Lucy, mm. but then making it really British and really horny. And yeah. and that these have become kind of, I don't know, like emblematic of a kind of mentality about, I don't know, the empire, British greatness, the thing about British humor and those things along those lines. Mm. But when you watch them now, you're just sort of like, this is... This is just, it's like you can't, it's like the Mitchell and Webb sketch. Like the humor gets ruined if you just say, go, should I just take my cock out now? Like yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's no longer because everything is about like, oh, 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 I'm going to take your temperature on time. Yeah. It's just like that <laughs> nonstop. Yeah, but because actually the, this is something, right? Like our listeners might be more familiar with the Mitchell and Webb bawdy 1970s hospital sketch, which I also sent to Nate. Yeah. Uh, which is very much a direct send up of the carry on films. I think that's almost all that it's referencing. Um, and yeah, like these films are like, cause one thing I would say about them is that they're extremely knowing. It's like, mm-hmm. it's not supposed to be a good film. It's like very much it is like deeply sort of, uh, like pastiche. And I don't know why they decided to make them so horny, but like every single carry on film, it's like the exact same. It's just constant double entendre vibes, but also like carry on films in particular are very they're not just this isn't just Britonology we're now like even deeper into like Cockneyology because yeah. this is they're they're incredibly London like they're all shot at Ealing Studios like the whole thing is like powerfully shit my nan would say and so like there were obviously there were loads of like double entendres in the film which you didn't get because no. you weren't raised by a four foot eleven insane Cockney woman right no hundred <laughs> percent I mean there were things that I got but also the things that were sort of I was helped to get by the visual. Mm of just like boobs are out or something oh, like yeah, that you yeah, know what yeah. i mean like it's just not actually exposed but rather like mm. just close-up shots Cockney on sign language yeah. when the boobs are out it's yeah. a double entendre yeah close-ups on on boobs and huge brassieres and things along those lines and just like all right if we talk about the plot of the film if you summarize the plot of the film it's legitimately this stupid mm-hmm. there is an elite unit notionally elite unit of british troops on the border of afghanistan and they have to wear a Highland uniform, and yeah. one of them gets caught. Yeah, the, the the third foot and mouth regiment, which is the first little of course, uh, yeah. uh, g- gag of the film that you get. And they are not supposed to wear underwear, and as such, the Afghans and mm. the Indians are terrified of them because their dicks are hanging out. Yeah. However, uh, one of them basically gets accosted by Private James Whittle. Private, now, James, Private Whittle. James Whittle is one of the ew, ew characters. <laughs> no, it's it's ew, cold. Ew, so. no. Yeah, exactly. He, mm. He's a private who looks about 50. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> an enormous man who at least looks like he could be Afghan, but is extremely, his name is like, you know, like, like Bob Smith or something. He's not 
Afghan at all. Yeah, uh, but bung, bunged it din. Uh, bunged is, it in. Yeah, yeah great. Absolutely. Uh, he basically assaults him and discovers that he is wearing underwear, which mm. is because he's wearing undergarments that they're not, they're issued, but not allowed to wear. Uh, this apparently will... Which is incredibly British, yeah, actually, that, that, to that, issue you something you're not supposed to that's use. That's 100%. Yeah, U.S. Army, too, 100%. Like, we gave you this mm. stuff and you can't wear it. Uh, shout out to the random American military listeners, if we have any. You all know what I'm talking about, about the polar bear suit. You're not allowed to wear that shit. Like, they might issue it to you. The polar bear suit. So, the, there's the extreme cold weather clothing system, or acronym, EQUIX, as we okay. call it. And the very top layer is basically like a like a big puffy coat, like a gray North Face style puffy coat mm-hmm. and uh, or marshmallow suit. We also call it that. So like there was there's a couple of like a fleece. We were sometimes allowed allowed to wear the gray fleece. I have never the only time I was ever allowed to wear the marshmallow top was uh, basically in like a cold weather training thing where we're supposed to like trust your clothing kind of thing they mm. would because it looks too comfortable and too cool there's no way they'd ever yeah. let us wear it. like it just looks too badass it's like a fly ass wrapper jacket and you're not allowed to wear it <laughs> never not allowed to wear it you're just wandering around looking like two-pack i end. did see a guy wearing one he was like a navy dude as an augmentee in afghanistan who was part of like the, the counter ied training thing and this dude clearly thought he was the coolest guy on the planet because he had like big hair for a military person and was walking around in like the polar the, the, the big marshmallow jacket with just a gun tucked into his belt like <laughs> just a fucking a nine mil. And and just that like, guy was Pete Buttigieg. He was just, yeah, he was just way, way, way too cool. Uh, also, never left the fob. But the point being, Navy. I mean, why not, was he so far from the sea? I know he was closest to the in a country very close to the point on the planet that's the furthest from any body of water. And they sent a fucking navy. I don't get it. Absolutely. But long story short, okay, we've somebody's got to teach these people how to be gay. <laughs> That's a thing they've never learned before. <laughs> There's no history of that here. <laughs> I mean, Michael York in the Carry On films would be too powerful. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. The, the, the projector reels would have melted in 1960s British cinema. Having it off with a twink. <laughs> You're not allowed to wear that sleeping bag uniform private. Take off your clothes right now. <laughs> yeah, so uh, basically, we've digressed to talk army talk for a second, mm. but point being the private is not allowed to no, no one is allowed to wear these undergarments uh but not only is this private wearing them and he gets captured and mm. uh the guy basically he gets knocked out and the the bunged in guy takes them off him yeah and then reveals to the that, that's all off camera by the way it's just it, recounted later in like a pseudo horny way of course yeah you know and uh Something about the private, his privates, etc. Just yep. yeah, you couldn't miss with that shit. No. Anyway, the Kazi, uh, the leader of the Raj or whatever part of India they're in, which yeah, he's like the local local Indian slash Pakistani ruler. This is another this is another gag in the film because I believe uh, Kazi is an Indian or possibly Arabic word uh, for like a toilet, um, and uh, basically in in Cockney kind of like slang uh, vernacular a Kazi is is a, a shitter or a Kazi can mean like a shithole like a bad place that you mm. wouldn't want to go to and so there are all these jokes about people being on the Kazi and so like or like with the, like in the Kazi like stuff like that but where it implies they're taking a shit but they're actually <laughs> just meeting with this guy yeah exactly so long story short also played by a white British guy 
Uh, yeah, Kenneth Williams, who is in every Carry On film. Um, and I have to say, you could think that he is doing like a slightly problematic accent, but that is just the voice that Kenneth Williams does. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, really? Kenneth Williams talks like this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we have a nice little deal for me tonight. <laughs> oh, I'm not sure I could do that. <gasps> but he, he's sound, wearing... he sounds like really camp Alan Rickman. That's he... <laughs> the Kenneth Williams voice. 100%. <laughs> but he's also got uh, a very tightly wound turban, and it just, mm. it basically looks like. Uh, as long as he's only surrounded by dudes, it would be T.E. Lawrence having the best time of his life. <laughs> and so, Always. so basically, the Kazi uh, and Bunged It In decide that uh, they can lead a rebellion against the British mm. because no, no one in India or Afghanistan will be afraid of the British and their Highland Guards and who, or the, 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 the third foot and mouth regiment yeah. if they know that they wear underpants. Absolutely. And this is basically like a state secret. However, uh, it's then revealed that basically all of them wear underpants because they're not supposed to do it, but they do it anyway. Yeah, and uh, but all of them believe that none of the others do. Exactly, and so they have a, like a surprise open ranks inspection where they're all forced to lift their kilts, and it's revealed that all of them are wearing it. But the uh, the governor of this province or whatever, the guy yeah. played by Sid James, so uh, Sydney Rough Diamond. Yeah, his his, his extremely horny Cockney wife snaps mm. a photo with an old-timey camera. This is supposed to be 1890 because yeah. she wants to see a bunch of dudes' dicks, but instead the picture is uh, a bunch of dudes all wearing underpants. Yeah. And so because she has this picture, she then decides she wants to have sex with the Kazi, and mm. she promises him that she'll give him the photo if he has sex with her, but he keeps refusing to do it. Yeah, it is heavily implied that the Kazi is gay. Mm-hmm. I think it would be safe, to, given that he's played by <laughs> Kenneth Williams, um, and uh, and he's doing everything he can to avoid having sex with the big busty and English woman, yeah, who keeps going like, "Oh, wouldn't you like to have a look under my garments?" <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, not now, darling. <laughs> oh, I must, I must hurry away." There is a fun gag actually where um, <laughs> she's talking about like, "Oh, wouldn't you like to have sex with me?" And he's like, "Oh no, I don't make love." And she's like, "Why not?" And he's like, "Well, I have someone to do everything for me." <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you're getting the vibe if you understand where we're coming from with this. Yeah, it's just it's just yeah. that for like 90 minutes. And like all of these, all the main characters are in like every single one of these films. They just like reuse the same cast. Um, and like, so a lot of these people were definitely big household names at the time. I mean, like Sid James, who's been dead for some time, yeah. who plays the British governor, um, is like a- an iconic British figure of just like, extremely cockney guy who is renowned for this like dirty laugh that he has which is like <laughs> he's also if I'm not mistaken South African originally he was from oh, South really? Africa he was a South African Jewish guy who left and moved to Britain and I could kind of pick up a little hint of a South African accent every now and then when he talked mm. but also apparently he was such an inveterate gambler who constantly lost money that like he had to have a secret- just had to keep doing the horny films he had to keep doing the horny films and his agent had like a secret account so his wife wouldn't know how much money he was making because he wanted yeah. to gamble all of it <laughs> so in a way, like the the sort of debauched English guy that he's playing, he's not that far off the mark. So he's basically just playing himself. I imagine him and his wife having an actual carry on film dynamic where like he's he's away gambling and she's like, oh, well, I hope he's not losing his shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, basically, uh, Lady Rough Diamond gets kidnapped, gets taken by the Kazi. He, they think she's been kidnapped, but actually she mm. wants to fuck the Kazi. 
And so he has to go to Afghanistan. Well, actually, prior to that, the uh, the governor goes over to the Kazi and tries to convince him that they don't wear underpants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the yeah. Kazi shows him the underpants, and he's like, "Well, uh, why don't you prove it to me?" And he has like uh, Captain Keen, uh, the the sort of uh, inveterate British army officer. He this was another character I really liked because it's like a very good uh, the Captain Keen and the Sergeant Major, whose name is Sergeant Major McNutt, <laughs> um, uh, who are like an amazing an amazing parody of the sort of like british army officer sergeant major combo where the officer's just going like Ooh, oh dear well we can't have that can we and then and then the sergeant major starts going private pull up your skirts now um this kind of yeah uh, constantly drilling people to walk them around and stuff like that you know and like- uh and there's a uh, and there's a moment where uh sir sydney rough diamond asks them both to lift up their kilts to show the kazi and the, the sergeant major is like oh, i'd rather not sir and then he's like, I've ordered you. And he's like, no, I'd rather not. And then they have this like whispered conversation. And then you hear the officer go, but so am I. <laughs> <laughs> and it transpires that they are both also wearing the undergarments, despite being the people who, in- who had initially initiated this entire disciplinary proceeding about not wearing undergarments. Exactly. And so that's, that's then leads to the scene in which uh, Lady Rough Diamond buy, uh, takes the photo, expecting mm. to see a bunch of dudes' dicks. And instead, yep. they're all wearing underwear. Precisely. So then she takes the photo to the Kazi, and uh, <laughs> I'm just thinking about that bit now that like the entire conceit there is that she just wants to photograph a bunch of guys' dicks. <laughs> like, I'm not taking a secret it. dick pic. No, I'm absolutely. Not misinterpreting it. That's the fucking plot, and that <laughs> oh, I love a racy daguerreotype, <laughs> <laughs> and that drives the plot of the rest of the film is that mm. she has this print. Of the, the the guys lifting their skirts mm. up and they're uh, they're you know all wearing underpants, yeah. and so basically she takes it to the Kazi and she mm. says that he can have it. If she- <laughs> and, oh, that's because she's taken. There's a whole joke about she's taken this racy photograph to the Kazi, which makes it sound like she's taken it to the toilet to <laughs> jack <laughs> off with. <laughs> you know, what? actually, this film is excellent. It rules. <laughs> It's extremely based. There are some slightly racist bits which it could do without, but in general... Um, anyway, so he then makes her come with him to Afghanistan mm. to meet with the tribal chiefs because he wants to get them... He wants to show them the photograph to get them riled up because yeah. then they'll be like, well, the English don't actually wear mm. underpants and so we can kill them. Or rather, they do wear underpants. Rather, yeah, they do, they do wear underpants so we can kill them. And um, so they wind up going across the, you know, the Khyber Pass to, to Afghanistan and uh, then basically, well, two things happen. Number one, because she's gone missing, they think she's been kidnapped. So the uh, Captain Keen, Sergeant mm-hmm. Major McNutt, Private Whittle, and a, horn, a horny evangelist minister that they meet oh, and basically oh, yeah. blackmail B- uh, Mr. Belcher, Mr. Belcher, who they blackmail into going with them because he speaks the language. Uh, yeah. It's never specified which language, but he speaks the local language. And um, they blackmail him by basically getting a hot girl to come seduce him. And then they like catch him in the act. And mm. basically it's implied that he apparently is known to be this horny debauched guy, but that it'll, it'll ruin his reputation if it gets yeah, out. He's that- a missionary. Right. So there's this, uh, yeah. Cause there's that scene where they like, they drag him out of this brothel that he's in or whatever. And it's like fully like Looney Tunes. Like he's got the, like the bib of his shirt is like curling up at the end. And like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So long story short, they, they go to Afghanistan, they put on fake beards uh, pretend mm. to be tribal chiefs. 
they yeah. basically the Kazi and gang, gang transed up but as their own gender exactly. just becoming we're becoming more male and uh, the Kazi addresses this group of Afghan tribesmen who shoot at him when they're expressing happiness for or the, the agreement uh, basically whenever <laughs> the Kazi is like really scared because they keep firing the guns loosely in their direction and he says don't worry if they hit you it will only be by accident <laughs> <laughs> yes and they shake their heads up down for no and left right for yes and basically yeah. the whole thing is and they be- say nee 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 for yes and yee 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 for no they're um, uh, yeah apparently they're inscrutable completely inscrutable yeah. and uh, so what they do is the is that the, our, our plucky band of heroes basically fakes their way into the compound mm. pretending to be the tribal chiefs in question and then gets told to like take advantage of the Kazi's hospitality, which they basically get sent to a harem and then just get really horny and chase women around mm. without actually having sex with them because they can't show that in film. So instead, it's just them kissing them and like frolicking in a pool. Just but, like rubbing their boobs a lot. Like there's a lot of just like motorboating in yeah, this film. There's exactly. like low key, just like that is that is what sex was in Britain in 1968 was just like motorboating some fat titties. So basically then the actual tribal chiefs show up and it's revealed what's going on. So they have to escape. They escape with mm. the help of the Kazi's daughter who, who is in love with Captain yeah, Keen. Falls in love with Captain Keen and uh, in the process of basically escaping, which they do eventually escape uh, Lady Rough Diamond's photograph falls out of her of her brazier because she's she's hiding in her fucking tits basically, and it falls out when they're climbing a ladder that a mm-hmm. a, 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 a helps them <laughs> by pulling an enormous ladder out of his basket and so on of and so course. forth. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's just every every series. Snakes type. and ladders. Oh exactly. fuck, that's actually it's the in joke. the fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> This film is excellent. <laughs> and it's like the more the more like actual critical analysis I do of this film, the more I'm like, wow, this is actually really densely written. Um, so effectively, they they get out, they escape, but the problem is, is now the Kazi and Bungdudin have the uh, <laughs> photo, and so yeah. they're able to raise their tribal army. So what happens is they then retreat, they run out, they get past back to the the, the border fort where they've discovered that basically everyone has been killed. Yeah, uh, which actually is a scene I didn't remember from the film and kind of surprised me because the whole film is like there's constant like Im- like both nodding towards both sex and violence, but none of it ever actually happens. And so there was suddenly just a pile of dead bodies. And I'm like, oh, OK. All right. Well, damn. Yeah. Uh, and effectively, so uh, Private Whittle and Sergeant Major McNutt, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. stay behind to hold them off. But yeah. all the bullets are gone. All the gun barrels are bent. The uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but they've put like a, 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 a phonograph inside the Maxim gun cartridge. So, oh, so they oh, plays, it plays music when yeah, they're trying yeah, to yeah. fire. So, but there's an amazing scene just as as this happens, because they're with the, it's like the Kazi's daughter and the, the governor's wife and Captain Keen, Private Whittle, and the uh, the Sergeant Major are at the Kyber Pass, and they see the like the army of the Kazi and Bungdudin approaching. And so they have this conversation where uh, Captain Keen says, well, I suppose I will have to say and hold them off. And then the Sergeant Major goes, that's no job for an officer. And he goes, but Sergeant Major, it's certain death. And he goes, that's why it's no job for an officer. And he goes, oh, yes, quite right. <laughs> <laughs> So then basically they stay behind. Of course, they don't get killed. They eventually just run away as well. Yeah. They're able to escape. And then they return to the uh, to, to Sydney Rough Diamond's palace, the, the Raj Palace or whatever, mm. 
where he has been basically notionally making amends because the Kazi has wronged him by stealing his wife. Mm-hmm. So to make amends, he has to send over like all 73 of his harem mistresses. So he's yeah. just constantly having sex with them the whole yeah. time. Sydney Ruff Diamond's dick is like a pepper army at this point. <laughs> he's like- just, just fucking the whole time. Of course, it's never shown on scene, on, yeah. on, on, on screen rather. It's just more... Uh, implied that he's working, he's slowly working his way through, and the whole joke is it's Tiffin, which I yeah, guess is yeah, some yeah. kind of word for sweets. I'd never heard this before. Oh but yeah, so Tiffin is, I think, a Hindi word yeah, to do with is. having like afternoon tea some kind or of sweets. Snack. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But, and so, but there's actually a British cake called Tiffin, which is kind of like a like somewhere between a brownie and a flapjack. It's kind of like a hard chocolate um, like cake type mm-hmm, thing, it's like mm-hmm. with like layers of chocolate and biscuit and stuff, mm-hmm. a bit like a Rocky Road or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so yeah, Tiffin is like in this afternoon film. Tea, whenever but- they're ha- they're having Tiffin, it means they're fucking. Yeah, like it's yeah. Just, this is constantly referenced, and so and one of the one of the uh, the Kazi's wives is in there with him when his own wife arrives, and she's like, "This is great. I can tell your wife that we have made amends." And he's like, "You'll do no such thing." And begins like shoving her into a wardrobe. Yeah. So effectively, then when uh, they they can then get surrounded by the Kazi and mm. the Afghan army who begin, you know, firing cannons and shooting at them. And mm. what they do is then to have a normal dinner, a nice black tie dinner. Yeah. This was, okay, this was a part of the film that I didn't fully understand because, like, the bit is that they're having dinner and, like, cannonballs keep coming through the window and stuff. And there's, like, a string quartet playing, but, like, plaster keeps falling off the ceiling and, like, landing and all. And it gets to the point where they're all just, like, completely white with plaster they and, like, just, continue to they eat just this dinner. They just completely dissociate. They're like, dinner comes first. We're just going to pretend this isn't happening. Like, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. apparently we're going to get overrun and killed. So we're just going to have a nice dinner and pretend this is not happening. This, to me, but is the, the missionary Mr. Belcher keeps freaking, freaking out. out. Yeah. This to me is the most British scene of the entire film. Like 100%. Yeah. Like, whenever the Brit- British people, I have said this before, the British mentality is, well, the other room in my house is on fire. No need to get excited about it. I'll just put the kettle on. Like, yeah. that is 100% the mentality. So, seeing this scene, I was just like, yeah, this I believe. Anyway, yeah. um, they then get in a firefight when they breach the wall. Uh, they come out and start firing at people. Not very many people are killed. It just seems like struggling. Yeah, there's with- a lot of just like b- b- grappling. Grappling. Captain like- Keen goes out and wrestles with a few Afghans and yeah. then comes back and goes, fall back, men. And then when they do fall back at that at that moment, basically where it looks like all is lost, he orders them to raise their skirts and they're finally not wearing underwear. And this scares the, the Indian slash Afghans so much they all run away. And thus the day is saved. Yeah. And then, and then, and, and Kenneth Williams says, "Why are you all running away? What's to be afraid of? Someone not wearing something under their skirt?" And then he looks at it and goes, "Ooh, then again." <laughs> <laughs> yes, and then Mr. Belcher staggers out. What if a gay man was afraid of a dick? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Belcher, who's completely shell shocked at this point, staggers out and looks at the Union Jack in the compound, which says, "I'm backing Britain on it." And he says something to the effect of, "Like they're all mad, but yes, I am," or something like that. And then that's the end of the film. Yeah. I mean, what could be a, a better metaphor for the current Brexit scenario than a man, like, disheveled and covered in plaster from his own house falling down, stumbling out of a building and seeing a Union Jack that says, I'm backing Britain on it and being like, yes. And then, or, or an, you know, an entire gathering of high society people basically just be like, oh, we're getting shelled or we're going to die. Let's yeah. have a nice dinner. Let's just not talk about that. Exactly. Yes. More chlorine, sir. Uh, exactly. So long story short, this is the most British thing I've ever seen in my fucking life. Mm. And when you tell me that these films are all sort of more or less the same, that they're just like different scenarios, but the same actors and always horny. Yeah. yeah, And, yeah. and, and, and sexist and racist because of they are of their time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wasn't surprised at all. 
I I just um, but to me, I guess in a way, I've se- I, I've never seen any of these films before, and I've only seen British comedy, like TV comedy and stuff, e- e- from either a slightly later era or much later mm. that either c- kind of like indirectly references it in a way. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. It's never the actual thing. I yeah. to me, this film is sort of like now I understand where Benny Hill comes from. Yeah, because it's just it's the same sort of thing. Like it's just like oh, morning, just that nonstop. <laughs> yeah, this is probably the most racist one because most of them aren't really set in historical scenarios. They're mostly in like like there's one called like Carry On Camping, and it's just set on a campsite. Like they're like most of them are much more banal scenarios than like the British Raj in India. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so this one really gets to the heart of things, I suppose. But it, yeah, which is which is partly why I picked this one. I mean, I can read you out some other titles of Carry On films because even I, I I have not seen all of them. Absolutely. So Someone pointed out to me that carry on up the Kyber, the Kyber Pass ass as rhyming slang. Oh, I didn't even know that. Uh, He's going right up the Kyber. So we've got, oh, wow, they go back to 1958. Jesus Christ. Carry on sergeant, carry on nurse, uh, based on nurse sketch, of course, uh, fans of the show. Uh, carry on teacher, carry on constable. <laughs> Carry on regardless, uh, which I quite like as a as a diversion from the theme. Carry on cruising, carry on cabbie, carry on Jack, carry on spying, carry on Cleo. Carry, I mean, carry on spying is actually the name of a new British law, I believe. Um, <laughs> carry on dogging, the only way to have sex. <laughs> exactly. Uh, carry on cowboy, carry on screaming, which sounds like a much more effective uh, advice for Britain. Don't lose your head. Uh, follow that camel. Okay, that one might be slightly racist. <laughs> um, carry on, doctor. Carry on up the Kyber. Carry on camping. Carry on again, doctor. Carry on up the jungle. Carry on loving. Carry on Henry. Carry on at your convenience. Carry on matron. They're really kind of starting to get more obvious as time goes on. Carry on abroad. Just generically abroad. Um, carry on girls. Carry on dick. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Carry on behind. Carry on England, that's carry on, carry on Emmanuel and carry on Columbus, which is 1992 for carry on Columbus. I re- There's also a list of unmade carry on films, which entered pre-production before being abandoned, which include carry on smoking, uh, where the story rolled around a fire station, carry on spaceman, and uh, which involved going to space. I'm not surprised they didn't make that one. Just a horny film set in space. <laughs> As one does. That would be brilliant. I would love to see what the bawdy uh, double entendres would be uh, in space. Yeah, it does add a whole new dimension to it where, you know, you're, you're sort of confined to a physical space. Like, you just can't go outside because mm. it's outer space and you'll die. So, yeah. you have to be horny and chase chase girls around in zero gravity, just fucking floating back and forth. Like, in a way, it's just sort of kind of tests the limits of the genre the airlock airlock knob is stuck (laughs) i can't budget with a spanner i have to suck it off (laughs) (laughs) oh don't open it you'll get sucked off (laughs) (laughs) it would have to be awful chance would be a fine thing (laughs) (laughs) this is what britnology should be now just me and you improvising carry-on dialogue It's quite easy. You just have to put stock phrases like "chance would be a fine thing" after things, or just like "oh, matron." Mm. Mm. <laughs> God, fucking Christ, man! Yeah, I mean, nothing. I've made the joke before. I think um, on Trash mm. Future and elsewhere that that 
you know, growing up with one English parent that I, I felt like maybe something of an affinity for stuff because like I just grew up watching British TV or like recorded British TV and things like mm. that. But Nate's nothing, first words were ooh, uh, misses. Yeah, but nothing has made me feel more American than living in Britain. So I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck is this? What the <laughs> fuck is this place? What is going on? And this, I think, is what one of those examples of it where to me this feels so foreign and just weird that like obviously mm. common language and such like i understand what's going on yeah but i'm just sort of like y'all are insane <laughs> oh <laughs> just, absolutely and especially in 1968 a very like peak britain hours um yeah. there was uh back when there were 240 pence in the pound um there was uh there was a moment for me where i had the same thing with america when i was dating emma and um for the Super Bowl in 2018, we went to one of her like rich California friends had this like skiing lodge in Salt Lake City. So we went down there uh, for this like Super Bowl weekend. There were like 15 of us there. So I'm the only British person there, right? Everyone else is incredibly like waspy American. Mm-hmm. And like we watched the Super Bowl, which is like what I mean, I really don't care for American football. What I especially don't care for is British people who aggressively like American football, where I'm like, that is just pathetic. It is weird. Like yeah. you're a cuck. Like you've got your own sports to choose from. Don't like like American football just because it's been marketed to you, you fucking moron. As an aside, we one time got dinner in a pub and it was the night of the Super Bowl and people were literally like showing up because they were gonna like start watching the game at, you know, eleven PM or whatever. I'm like, you're insane. Like, yeah, I'm American and you're fucking insane. What are you doing? Do you remember when we were in uh, that restaurant that in restaurant. Angel? Yeah. And that guy, the waiter was like, oh, you're American. I'm a, I'm a Packers man myself. What did you make of the Super Bowl? And the Super Bowl had been like four months before. <laughs> and I, like I, was my just, dude. I was just like, dude, I if the Colts are in it, I'll watch. But the Colts won't be in it ever because they fucking suck. The Colts <laughs> won the Super Bowl once and Indiana will never forget that. But like, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, you, you want me to talk about Peyton Manning not being able to run? I can do that all day long. Yeah. But they'll never I don't, forget the Colts and they'll never forget the Dave Matthews band. Dave Matthews band is a whole other story, though, because he's a South African guy in America who started a jam band that's just weirdly popular. And like apparently was at one point the most successful American touring act, which does not surprise mm. me at all, given the weird devotion attached to it. I wonder why America would appeal to a white South African. Mm, I wonder. But uh, you were saying you were at, 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 yeah, in so we Salt were, Lake City. We were at this, yeah, and we watched the Super Bowl. And, uh, and you know, whatever, it's a vehicle for advertising mostly. Uh, but I was enjoying the adverts because the adverts were like, do you like beer by this truck? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. there's, there's like a, like British adverts are weirder, but there's a joy to like the incredible like sledgehammer simplicity of American advertising, which I do always enjoy. Like, it, yeah. Do, do you like, do you like tits? Buy this loan. <laughs> um, <laughs> like very, I enjoy it. Um, but uh, yeah, so we watched Super Bowl and then afterwards, like later that night, night uh one of the uh one of the americans in an attempt to bridge that great cultural divide was like it's like oh that must be like such a crazy fish out of water experience for you like watching the super bowl in america and i'm like not really i was like do you want to know what really made me feel alienated and he's like sure and i'm like when the, after the super bowl saturday night live came on and you were all laughing at the jokes <laughs> i'm like there were no jokes in that buddy you were just laughing at noises you were laughing at things which had the rhythm of jokes but were not funny in any way what i love about saturday night live is that when they do happen upon a funny concept for a sketch mm. the sketch is like seven minutes long because they have to fill mm. what like an hour two hours of fucking like it's a long ass show mm. and so if they have a funny idea it would make for like a 90 second to you know five minute maybe sketch but it just mm. goes on forever because they've got to fill the time somehow absolutely they could yeah. just 
have more of the band playing, it would be a lot better. I could just do more. Uh, they could just, I, I would appreciate it if, ca- if um, Saturday Night Live was at least 50% just carry on shit. <laughs> like, just like slapstick, people making double entendres, you know, there, there was would be actually, a joy to that. There was actually a Saturday Night Live running joke about these two guys who were like 18th century British fops. Uh, oh, okay. like, wore like powdered wigs and stuff and they would just talk about oh yes <laughs> oh yes and they invariably would get discriminated inside the Reese Mogg house invariably get discriminated against because like they would, they would go to a restaurant and they would the sign would say please wait to be seated and then they turn around and say no fops allowed or something like that and, oh I think I have yeah, seen this actually yeah yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah, there, yeah. Were, there were yeah things things maybe maybe that might be up your alley slightly but no it's mm. more like Saturday Night Live the thing I always tell people is that there's always this appeal to like the halcyon days of when Saturday Night Live was funny because a lot of like now beloved comics got their start there mm. Play people like eddie murphy uh john belushi um i think chevy chase was on it for in the early days um mm. dan Aykroyd was on it dana carvey mike myers like people who were went on to be big mm. comedians in america mm. but like it was never good like there were there- mike myers who went on to make basically the modern carry-on film yeah Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, honestly, Austin Powers does draw so much from both Carry On and uh, and from Bond movies. Although, yeah. to be fair, too, Mike Myers' parents were English. And so, mm. like, I think he grew up in Canada, but, like, his parents were English immigrants. And so, mm. I, I get the impression that, like, for him, you know, it was an opportunity to just, like, sort of meld that. It's a very horny <laughs> microclimate up there. That's all we very, can say. Very much is, yes. Yeah. So as, as, as all of our subjective evidence has proven of people from mm. Canada, they are horny. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but the, the the yeah, I mean, Saturday Night Live was never, it was never consistently good. And anybody who thinks back at it, I'm like, oh, remember when it was good? Like they're just, it, that's just sort of like the rose tinted effect of looking back on like when you were young and stuff. Because mm. I remember watching it, I remember laughing at like Norm McDonald doing Weekend Update. But then mm. if I go back and watch those, it's like for one, like his jokes are kind of cringe, just like generally punching down kind of racist, kind of sexist. But also mm. like they're just not funny. Like yeah, it was yeah, never yeah. really funny. The best way to watch Saturday Night Live is like buy one of those two hour, I don't know, like a fucking DVD of like the best of Saturday Night Live of the 1980s. And they mm. will be able to fill two hours of funny stuff because yeah. they have an entire decade's material to work off yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just not good. They produced one good two hour show in a decade I of mean, making the two Eddie hour Murphy shows. I mean, the sketch about like, uh, white, because there was this famously, there was this American book that was then made into a documentary in the 60s called Black Like Me, where a guy literally like mm. basically did like professional quality blackface to like pretend to be black <laughs> and like wrote about his experience, okay. like what it was like being black in America. And so Eddie Murphy did the one about white like me where like basically like <laughs> He goes to a bank in whiteface and everybody's like sober until like the one black person leaves and then it's just a party and there's throwing money everywhere. And they're like, mm. pay us back or don't. Like <laughs> yeah. that kind of shit. Like Eddie Murphy had some really good stuff. Um, and what's it called? I want to say, I don't think Dave Chappelle was on Saturday Night Live, but he had, he's guested on it before. Um, you know, and weirdly like shows like Mad TV basically managed mm. to be at times slightly funnier than Saturday Night Live just because yeah, it, is yeah, such yeah. A, it is such a fucking tired format at this point. It's such a long show. But, well, and also it has that it has that curse of TV where it's trying to be like family programming yeah. and I mean, trying to like appeal to uh, like across the board. Yeah, I mean, and, and Lauren Michaels has always been like a huge asshole about like ever pushing it in a different direction. Like people who, who did anything vulgar that could have gotten them in trouble with the FCC or anything like that, like he would like blacklist them forever and stuff mm. like that. Um, mm. And so, I mean, it's just one of those things where, yeah, it's just not, it's, for one, I don't think it's live anymore. And for another, yeah. like, it's just not. 
funny. I mean, that's the thing. That is a thing that I really hate in entertainment is the concept of family entertainment. Yeah. Like, there's no such thing as family entertainment. Children's and children, children's children and adults do not like the same things. Stop trying to make us like the same things. Well, and then when you do have a crossover thing that's both popular with kids and adults, like say, for example, Shrek. The reason why it's popular is because there's secret horny jokes in it the entire yeah. time. In a way, we all just want to be British. It were misses. Yeah, exactly. Uh, see, that was that was the beauty of something like a carry-on film, because as a child, you don't really understand any of the like horny elements of it. So and, and you're and just like, like yeah, oh, what a peculiar yeah. film about the British Raj. Oh, they really like kissing and hugging. Yeah. And that's it, because you yeah. don't actually see... Oh, he's giving her a mammogram. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did recognize elements of some of these kinds of jokes in other British comedy things that I've seen mm. that are like slightly more slapsticky than, than yeah. you know, like modern stuff. And obviously like, yeah, the Mitchell and Webb look sketch that you sent me, like mm. I get it now. I would have gotten that before because I think I'd seen enough dumb British stuff to kind of pick up on mm. it. But like, for example, number Wang in Mitchell and Webb look, I had not seen any cursed British game shows from the seventies oh, before. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that would, that would have been like funny in a way, but it wouldn't have been as funny as it would be for a person who, uh, grew up here, obviously, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, nothing will ever quite compare to the majesty of bullseye, <laughs> a, a game show where you play darts and you win prizes that are of just completely differing values. Like the, the like one of the prizes will be a lawnmower, like another prize will be a holiday to Corfu, but then yet another prize will be like a small kettle. Like, it's just bizarre. <laughs> the, th- the, th- the thing for me with, uh, with the carry on films, I mean, what I know of them and having seen this one all the way to mm. the end was it did strike me in a way that it felt like I was watching a sketch comedy series mm. in a way that like, y- obviously this was like midway through the franchise, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, it just sort of felt as though watching it, a lot of it, like, I bet you I would get a lot of sort of stock things if I'd watch more of the films mm. because it does strike me. They, they, they found a formula that worked and they were like, we're going to fucking run this shit into the ground. And that's just what they did. <laughs> and I mean, apparently Sid James was like a huge fan of them. He was like, look, I really love doing these movies. Like I make time to do these movies and stuff like mm. that. Because like, to me, they just, it, it, it strikes me that they do represent a kind of like, what I'm guessing would be a sort of like music hall vaudeville sketch kind of thing like if you're thinking about the people that these would have been popular for your nan for example or people older than her even it does make me think that perhaps like okay you know if you went to like the hackney empire or some shit yeah yeah, and they were doing sketches this is the kind of thing you'd expect for for an ease up exactly a lot of like that because you see sort of like uh i I guess someone like bruce forsyth who we've talked about on the show before is kind of like a a slightly sanitized version of this same brand of humor like a lot of his stuff when he was like hosting shows or uh, game shows or whatever there would be that element of like double entendre to it but like in a slightly a slightly more sanitized way Similarly, like, obviously, like, pantomime is a huge British tradition, which is maybe something we can talk about on this show at some point, uh, but of basically having, like, incredibly bawdy productions of plays at Christmas, which are aimed at children. <laughs> it's like, so it's, like, a production of Snow White, but it's, like, incredibly horny and full of this kind of, like, ooh misses carry-on-style jokes, but it's properly aimed at, like, six-year-olds, but it's so the parents can sit there and be like, huh, horny. <laughs> like, um, and I remember when I was a kid going to see a pantomime of, I think, Dick Whittington, uh, which had Jim Davidson in it. Uh, I British listeners to the show will be familiar with Jim Davidson. I don't know if you've ever come across Jim Davidson. I don't think so, no. He is a club comic from, like, the 80s. 
um, who is, uh, now is like kind of sort of cancelled for just being well, being a club comic from the 80s and thereby having a lot of, like, jokes which are offensive. Um, uh, But at the time, he was, like, a real sort of, like... He'd presented some game shows and stuff as well. Uh, And, uh, yeah, I remember, like... Yeah, this whole thing was just full of, uh, like, gags, like, uh, uh, why do uh, do some chickens uh, lay white eggs and some chickens lay brown eggs? They'd be like, because some chickens don't wipe their asses. It was, like, that level of... uh, (laughs) Well, Extreme that was banter. less racist than I thought it was going to be. So, yeah, I, mean, it, I think even Jim Davidson would have struggled to be racist about chickens. To be fair, <laughs> imagine if he somehow brought that into the whole into the whole race debate. He would have truly have been like an innovator in racism. I uh, mean, if anyone could do it, it would be British comedians. Actually, I take that back. British comedians don't tend to be racist. They tend to just mm-hmm. be like they basically, if the modes of what's acceptable change in their lifetime, which invariably they do. They get really butthurt about it and then just yeah, whine yeah, about yeah. like British comedians whining about how you can't say nog on a fucking TV show anymore is basically like <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, it's just like this country's going to the dogs, but for British comedians, it's it's like yeah. it's a permutation of Baz, mm. but it's just like it's it's specifically for them basically being past, slightly past their prime. The sort of David Badil effect, which obviously we know very well because mm. I cannot fucking stand people it. my bench yes. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible really these people just don't understand comedy <clears throat> yeah they won't even let me say uber misses <laughs> yeah, next thing you know they'll just make me take my cock out instead of making oblique references to it for 90 minutes hmm. what of a carry on film but everyone's played by David Baddiel <laughs> we have more blackface than the actual series yeah <laughs> 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 I was playing a white character. I had to put on white face over my black face. <laughs> yeah, I mean, t- mm. the, 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 just in case, American listeners, you aren't familiar with the, the TV comedian David Baddiel, uh, who has tried to reinvent himself as a anti-racism campaigner, specifically focusing on why he hated Jeremy Corbyn and why mm. Jeremy Corbyn was an anti-Semite, et cetera, et cetera. You understand the, 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 the framework of this. What David yeah. Baddiel e- completely failed to ever reconcile is the fact that in the 90s, he was on a TV show, a comedy show called Fantasy Football, in which for an extended period, he made fun of a guy who I think played for like Nottingham Forest named Jason Lee. Yeah. And basically, Jason Lee was a black football player who had his hair in like dreadlocks that he would basically tie up in a in a bun, basically, or like in a, in, you know, mm. in, in, a, in a knot when he played. And David Baddiel made fun of him on the show by putting on blackface and wearing a pineapple on his head. And to the point where Jason Lee got harassed by fans so much, his, his family couldn't even come to games because it was too distressing of just people wearing blackface and pineapples in the fashion popularized by David Baddiel, who is white mm. and Jewish. Uh, the classic blackface pineapple combo. And, that and, we and all so know to the point where he basically he wound up quitting football when his career kind of faltered. And he basically said, like, I went through an extended period of depression because I could not basically do my job without people putting mm. on pineapples on their heads and making fun of me. And it's like, that's because of David Baddiel. So hilariously I and mean, we could this is a whole other subject that i've, I've talked about that um it's it, 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 it's it, it's hilarious to me how often you have to clarify when a british tv comedian has decided they they hate jeremy corbyn and the left and the labor party and so on and so forth you have to separate into the have they done blackface on tv in the last 30 years or not and you'd be surprised at how challenging it is so let's be perfectly honest uh yeah this that that is that is the the, the bedeal phenomenon if you're not familiar with him but um yeah but to me, bringing it back to what I was talking about previously is that I do think that this kind of stuff, it, okay, the treatment of Indians and Afghans is extremely cringe. Like you can't yeah. get away from how incredibly, like uncomfortably racist it feels. Mm. But most of the film is, like you said, it's just 
beating like an oblique track around horniness yeah. and never saying it outright, but having everything, everything being alluded to in like the most just incessant way. It's just like every single part of the film is just like, oh, <laughs> I want to take Michael Cap tomorrow. Like that kind of thing. Like it's very, very... Yeah. Oh yeah. There's a, there's a lot of like back back passages and um, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll find your back passage. <laughs> well, well, precisely. Yes. I don't know if that was actually an expression that people use, or if I just put like uh, just anything, anything that sounds vaguely sexual. Yeah, as soon yeah, as you've yeah. got it in a Carry On film. Yeah, exactly. And so to me, I, I'm trying to think if we have an analog to this in America, and I don't think we do because I think that for better or worse in America. It's either completely sanitized and sexless or it's just like, we're fucking, you know what I mean? Like there's Mm. not really this middle ground where you're constantly alluding to sex without it being overt. There are perhaps more, I mean, you can find some gray area. I think about TV shows where, you know, it has to be somewhat subtle, but I mean, let's be perfectly honest. America is a country where like for a film to be shown and be allowed to be seen in the Mm. 1950s, I think in f- movie theaters or on TV, I can't remember what it was, they basically weren't allowed to show a married couple in bed together. And so they had yeah. to do a split screen thing where they're like in bed, but talking on the phone, but it's done in such a way as to imply they're in bed together because if they were right, in bed okay. together in the shot, then that would have been seen as obscene in America. Wow. I mean, Incredible. Recent, recent enough, like in the sense that this this was shot in color. So like yeah. it's not, you know, it has to be, and it was Absolutely it was definitely mental. post post war. So like that's the level of of like repression. But then like I mean, America is a Puritan country run by Puritans, as we. But know. then also we have like we're we're constantly pushing the limits with regard to like how much sex we'll show in films that are R rated as well. So you yeah, know, it's yeah, like yeah. it's yeah, it's that it's that dichotomy in America of like incredibly repressed and also incredibly like horny in a, in a different manner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is kind of a more. Because well, I think because in British society we love nudge nudge wink wink 100%, stuff yeah. so much just for its own sake like not even to avoid saying the thing directly but just as a kind of like Britain has made such a perverse art out of like communicating without directly saying anything mm-hmm. that is sort of like we we love that as a as like a ground for humor I don't know I don't really know why yeah that's a good point isn't it I mean I think about we don't really have that like for us. There's certain things where they have to skirt around things because of what you can get away with saying on mm. TV. Yeah. Uh, and also, you know, more recently, if films were going to be released before the sort of streaming era, mm. you had certain limits on what could be shown so that you could get an R rating and not an NC-17 rating. Because, like, movie theaters <laughs> typically won't show films that are NC-17. Yeah. And so, like, and, and the films that were supposed to sort of push the limits to, like, make NC-17 rated films successful were such huge flops. It just sucked really bad. Mm. So... It just never really happened. Yeah. Well, and also because I think there's this kind of thing where I just I just think Britain is like an extremely unsexy culture. Like there's certain things that we're good at and like sexy isn't one of them. So mm-hmm. we've like leaned extremely hard into this kind of like like sex in Britain is like always a joke. I always find this really funny. Like when you watch porn, right? Mm-hmm. And then often because you're watching porn in the UK, it will recommend like British porn to you. Like on oh, there's like a, they have like a category for this now, like British porn. And occasionally I'll click on it out of pure curiosity. And every time I'm like, nope. 
They're like 30 seconds in, like, no, like, oh, yeah, go on in. Oh, put your cock in me. And I'm like, no, we're so bad at this. Like, even when both of the people are attractive, it just doesn't work. It's like, oh, you're a cheeky cunt. Oh, yeah. I remember somebody. I'd suck on your knob. But it's like, no, just stop this. I remember in, I want to say 2005, 2006, there was a thread on a forum that I was a member of where they were just screenshotting the most ridiculous British porn ads that were appearing as like pop ups on mm. ads. And just putting them in the thread, like, have you guys seen this? Is this normal? Yeah, yeah. And I remember yeah. one of them was like, Britain's super, super, super tit queen shakes her lovely jugs for you. It was, like, <laughs> it was just like, it was so ridiculous. Like, I love it when she shakes her lovely jugs for me. That is. <laughs> in my it's in my most viewed and so yeah i mean i do think that there's an extent to which um yeah well careful they're out which is funny to me too because it's like when i think about um when i think about the american portrayal of britain you know the sort of like the commonplace expectations that people have it's one of being really sexually repressed yeah but at the same time, if you know anything about Britain, that's not true. Uh, clearly, mm. Americans are more that way. Americans are more direct yeah. in sort of communicating our feelings to people. But when it comes to like, uh, like I'll, I'll give you an example of things. When it comes to like talking about sex or mm. like jokes about sex and stuff like that, it's way more restrained in America than it is mm. here. I also feel the same way about like, I was always told like there's certain things, you know, British people are really buttoned up about. But what I realized is that like they are. It's just that they're buttoned up about different things than Americans are. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. British people will say things that seem unbelievably forward to Americans because like there are things that we're weirded out about. And yeah. so a good example of that would be drugs. Like British people just talk about fucking taking drugs. Americans get so clammed up and uncomfortable about it. Like yeah, you yeah. absolutely just don't do that. Whereas British people never talk about like social standing or money. All the class signifier uh, shit. Ameri- and Americans absolutely will. But like British people, I've been in situations where they just randomly ask me like, you know, to talk about religion or to talk about like traumatic experiences when I was in the military. And I'm like, I don't really know you. Why are you asking me this? Like that kind of stuff. And I realized that it's, it, it's a question of what are you buttoned up about? Yeah. And I feel like these films kind of touch on the fact that like, is Britain a, like a sexually repressed place? Not really. No. But, but it's just more that, the like you said, the way that it's treated in sort of popular culture and in portrayals and stuff is that like, it, it's never, it's never like sensual. It's just like, it's either funny or it's just, I don't know, crass, but it's never, yeah. it's never tried to like trying to be like, you know, oh, I, let's talk about being lovers and stuff like that. It's it's never no, like no. that at all. I mean, Britain Britain is the country that invented the word slapper, <laughs> and for that reason, <laughs> I was looking about one of my female friends the other day, just like bringing back the word slapper. Like they've done reclaim slut. Let's try and reclaim slapper. I think that's a great. I've uh, never even heard slapper before. What is it that? It just basically means like slag or slut. It's okay, like a similar gotcha, kind gotcha, of thing. Gotcha. But it has a, it has that more like kind of whereas slut has a bit of more like kind of aggressive undertone. Yeah, to yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Slapper has a bit more that kind of like bawdy 1960s undertone but like describing someone as a brass or something i remember there was so much stuff about world war ii i remember reading in a book about the european theater of operations about how like american soldiers were just surprised that like british women weren't necessarily as repressed about sex as americans are and so there was Mm. like so much fucking going on with like american soldiers stationed here to the point where like it was kind of a joke amongst british people and there was famously there was uh an anecdote about a sign somewhere near like an american base in i want to say in like norfolk or something like that Mm. where people had put up a sign that said you know attention americans gis please drive slowly that that little child in the street might be yours <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, 
a lot of fucking, you know? Yeah. That's the thing. Is that Americans Americans didn't realize how repressed they were until they went to other countries where like, I mean, people aren't as... That's how, that's how your British half of the family became American. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my grandmother was fucking 16 when my mom was born. So yes, 100%. You're, you are a product of horny British people in World War II. Yeah. Well, post-war, but yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean... Yeah, it's it's wild, but I mean, uh, watching this film has has <laughs> made his grandfather just going ooh, misses <laughs> in like a in like a deeply southern accent. Ooh, ma'am, <laughs> madam, you mind if I take you out for a root beer? He's like, oh, I love her, Roderick. <laughs> oh, um, um, ma'am, would would you would you mind terribly if I were to uh, take you around the back passage? <laughs> Yeah. Would it be would it be forward of me to suggest uh, <laughs> that you join me in the car? Well, I don't really have any bed space, but this <laughs> wall in the corner will do. <laughs> oh, bend me over the hostess trolley, love. <laughs> I don't know if that's a Norfolk accent. I can't do a Norfolk no, accent. No, Norfolk. Okay, well, Norfolk. It's a bit like that. <laughs> Bend me over the Ustesh trolley. <laughs> Why not? The thing about the weird thing about Norfolk is it's about as far east in the country as you can get, but the accent they have is like West Country. Yeah, I've never really, I've never experienced it. Like to be able to, like, to give like, I, I've rural <laughs> is the only way I can describe it. Like, yeah. Yeah. carrot cruncher is the way to describe that. Accent. <laughs> yeah, and, and like I said, my mom's family, my grandmother's family, it's all Norwich, that mm. area kind of people. So yeah, it's just like wild, but um. Yeah, man. I, in a way, I, I felt like I learned a lot. But I think my big takeaway that I just said it, the thing that that when I when I mentioned it online, saying that like this is a this sucks, but b this is really unfunny and racist, but also horny the entire time. And people were like, yes, mm. that is Carry On Films, and that is Britain. You must understand that. And yeah. so I felt like in a way I happened upon something crucial in that regard. I actually like in a way. I mean, I think that like that we have we have a slight difference of opinion on this purely on the basis that I think that like uh, t- for me, a there's a slightly more nostalgia attached sure, to it. Yeah, that makes and, sense. And b like there's that element of like I really get all of these like stupid Cockney double entendres where like half the phrases is just stuff you've never heard. Yeah. Um, and, and I so wonder it has that kind of like pleasing like timbre of like a joke your nan well, would make. Like I said, thing. my 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 buddy uh, in New Mexico when I was a kid, his dad mm. was a rabbi, and he had like every Mel Brooks movie ever made. Like, mm. Mel Brooks, the extremely Jewish American comedian. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I grew up watching lots and lots of Mel Brooks movies, which are, no joke, like, also horny, but in a different way. And yeah. so, in a way, I wonder if we watch, I don't know, High Anxiety or History of the World Part 1 or something like that. Mm. I don't know if uh, you might roll your eyes at the jokes and I would be like, oh, not only is this hilarious to me, but also it's nostalgic. Yeah. In the same way that, like, I get where the jokes are coming from in this film, but, like, it's hard to approach it as a complete outsider yeah, yeah, and yeah. not roll your eyes at some of them. Oh, completely. I mean, it's very stupid. I think kind of the, uh, I surprised myself. I was expecting to be like, oh, this will be like a fun thing to torture Nate with. But <laughs> I, right, watching it back, I kind of, because I saw this film like as a quite a small child and I've not seen it since. And watching it back, I think I came away from it with this kind of sense of like, oh, actually, like this is a, like aside from like some of the sort of like the ways that it's made that are quite like dated in terms of like the ways they represent like <laughs> Afghans or whatever, which yeah. are kind of like I think are sort of like it's done naively in a kind of there's not any like really egregious <laughs> like in a way it looks bad now because it wouldn't be done that way now and it is like very stereotypical and shitty. But I think the thing that makes it is that like there was not any thought of like, let's make this movie and have Indian or Afghan or any kind of South Asian actors. It's just, we're just going to put makeup on white people and they're just going to do, hello, I'll do my funny accent. Like that kind of shit. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so in a way, that's the part that's aged the worst, I think. Yeah. 
But the the rest of the film, to me, I was kind of like, oh, this is actually like this is like very knowing and like quite based. I kind of got a, a, a like quite a wholesome vibe of it. Like there is just this sense of this is just like horny grandpa is like winking at you about like but you know. There was a part of me though that I did think about this, and I was like, when you think about what was happening in Britain in the late sixties, it would have been really, really fucking annoying if you were you know an immigrant or the child of immigrants in this country mm-hmm. and like you know every every six months a new like <laughs> racist horny film came out where like because you know <laughs> the same the sort of like david Badil jason lee phenomenon i can only imagine how fucking annoyed people would be but like haha i'm gonna crack jokes from the, the latest carry on film at you guy who lives in this country and is also british but yeah. that i think is funny and foreign you know what i mean <laughs> yeah people keep trying to have horny sex with the guy that runs the corner shop yeah I'm trying to run my corner shop and people keep make, making tiffin jokes at me and i do not get it yeah yeah that kind of a thing so i mean in a way i, I did have to think about that like it would have mm. in that regard it's kind of aged poorly but i mean yeah it's, it's definitely that's not but the, i mean mel brooks one of mel brooks's most famous movies blazing saddles like probably uses the n-word like 200 times mm. i mean it's so when you talk about and it's it's doing wrong it's funny but yeah. also like wow what a movie you cannot show on tv anymore like and it absolutely like is let's put it this way i don't think you could justify that movie even though the jokes are funny and that it is making fun of racism it's absolutely 100%. Yeah, I was gonna say, i've not seen that film but i know that the concept it's is that it's making fun of people for being racist, racism yeah. and also like i know for a fact that like mel brooks employed a, a ton of black actors like they loved working with him in the sense that like it wasn't meant to be like making fun of black people it was meant to make fun of old-timey racism but like it's people's tastes have changed since like 1974 or whatever in a way that Mm. like that style of a send-up you just can't do any more than we're gonna do like just full-on saying slurs ironically on the podcast kind of shit like we just we aren't doing that you know we edit that out entirely (laughs) yeah it sometimes takes nine hours why do you think i'm always on twitter at two in the morning because i gotta edit every single slur out it's just me constantly interrupting riley just saying dago into the mic (laughs) (laughs) whop Oh Jesus Christ! Well, mm. this was this was an edifying experience. I it appreciate we, it. Milo. We, did, we covered so many topics: Saturday Night Live, the Army. Yeah, uh, you know this is what we do. This all is, of this our is, classics. This is Britonology. And yeah. uh, one thing I would say is that if you have ideas for Britonology, we well, a couple of things we have thought about doing. Mm-hmm. We have thought about doing one on post punk music. We've yeah. thought about doing one on the Falkland Islands War. Mm. We've thought about doing one on... Uh, we were actually talking to a friend of the show, Juliet Jakes, about doing an episode about uh, Half Man, Half Biscuit. Yeah, band. which is something I know nothing Me about neither. at all. Yeah. We were thinking about bringing on friend of the show, Tom Usher, to talk about uh, UK garage and drum and bass music mm. and the sort of like after scene in London in general and stuff like that. So that might even be like slightly Riley's commie nightclub, but for Britonology. Yeah. Mm. So we have ideas, but if there's a topic you're interested in, and most importantly, it's a topic that you think people would pay money for to hear about. Then please, well, bonus. Uh, bonus. please bonus. let us know because we absolutely want to keep doing this. Yeah. And we, we are, at least in my case, I can speak for myself, extremely gratified and touched in a way that people seem to like this. Cause yeah, who it, knew? Yeah, it's the weirdest thing, isn't it? So uh, um, it's just an excuse for me and Nate to sit in the studio, hit the vape and talk about Britain, really. <laughs> yeah. Which so in a way we've just monetized our hobbies, but we appreciate mm. you being willing to pay for it because that then actually allows us to do this as our full time job. So absolutely thank you. It's thank all you we for love that. To see. Yeah. And until next time, this has been Britonology. I've been Nate Bethay. This is Milo Edwards. And, and yeah, don't, we'll see you around the back passage. <laughs> 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 <laughs>